Welcome to the Zeal Interestings Podcast, where we discuss an interesting topic every week. I'm your host, Chris White. Today, I've got a special guest, Bobby Brown. He's a engineering team lead from MavenLink. Welcome to the podcast, Bobby. Oh, thanks for having me. Excited to talk about our project that we worked on together. Yeah, definitely. So we spent a large part of last year working together on a project at MavenLink. It was a very large feature and there were lots of practices and systems that, that were in place that I'd never experienced before. And I feel like they contributed a lot to how smoothly the project went and ultimately delivering it on time. So thanks for joining me. I, I want to kind of pull some of those apart. I feel like I have a decent understanding of like how the project originated and why it was so important and why it was under such a tight kind of time frame. Can but can you kind of tell the story of like what this project was and how tight of a time frame it experienced? Yeah, I can uh, try and keep this brief. It's got a long history, but we've been trying to build out our resource management capabilities at MavenLink for the probably the past two years. And that required building a lot of peripheral features that would lead up to this project, which was kind of codenamed Visual Master Planning. It's an area for our customers to plan on from a high level all of their resources and all of their projects. We knew we were going to build it. We didn't know when. We knew it was going to happen eventually. And then we had a really big customer kind of get us under under the gun to get it done by a certain in a certain time period under contract. So because it lined up with our roadmap, it lined up with what they wanted, our our engineering team decided to double down and say we could finish it by the ambitious end-of-year deadline that had nothing to do with engineering needs and all to do with the customer needs. So that's where the ambitious deadline came from and why our engineering team was also willing to build it in that time period. Gotcha. So the, so the idea of this visual master planning feature had been part of the roadmap of MavenLink, but due to you know some external pressure, the timeline for it got pushed pushed pretty dramatically. Yeah, that is correct. I think it, in about four months before we thought we were going to have to get it done, we had to get it done. Wow, that's great. That's 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 pretty cool. Let's talk about some of the systems that were put in place. So the the team structure was somewhere between half dozen to a dozen. I, I, I seem to remember us getting up to like maybe 10 or 12 engineers on the team at one point. Is that, am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, you are. We had our team uh, that we were working on and then we actually had another team working in parallel uh, with us that was working on related backend changes that would be required for, for our feature to work. So if you end up combining both teams there were about 18 engineers working on the same project at its peak, but for the visual master planning component, yeah, 10 to 12, and that that's that was what I was leading. And uh, we had another team lead for that parallel effort. Got it, got it. So that's definitely the largest engineering team that I personally worked on. And we divided up work into tracks. Can you kind of describe how those how the track system kind of worked and how it, set, how it was set up? Yeah, at the beginning of the project... Me, maybe a few other engineers, some product managers, we spent a lot of time breaking down the efforts of visual master planning into about two week sprints, for lack of a better word. It'd be like, it would take a pair two weeks to finish this effort. And if it was supposed to take longer than that, then we needed to break it into smaller efforts. And it was going to take shorter than that. Great. We didn't need to break it up anymore. We'll just call it, we'll call that a sprint. And each of these efforts was designed to be parallelizable paralyzable with all of the other efforts. So it was kind of like a next next epic up 
type mentality and putting everything in those two week chunks really helped me stay organized. Um, and we basically just kind of moved the chunks around until they all fit together and we could work on maybe four or five at a time. I, I was really impressed with that in particular. Like it seemed like on project teams of even like two or more, I've experienced the problem where it's like, well, we're waiting on element X before we can start element Y. And so, you know, team, the second pair is working on like stuff that's not super high priority, but has to wait on, you know, the work of team one to get done. And I felt like there was very little to none of that sort of activity happening, which I was really impressed by. Yeah, there were definitely some dependencies, but there we kept them to a minimum. And anytime we hit a blocker, we had another effort that we could switch to. And while that, that blocker got resolved, so there were several times during the project where we had to stop working on something and, and we had another one equally as important ready to spin up. And then we had to pause those efforts and return to them. So it was the flexibility was important because you can't anticipate all the blockers. But as long as there's another thing that you can work on. If something gets blocked, then we were fine, and that that saved us from losing time. Yeah, let's let's uh, dig into some of those blockers on the project. I remember in particular front end performance and back end performance were both pretty interrupted the flow a little bit and had to cause some reorganization. Is that correct in your memory as well? Yeah, well, we were from the. Uh, I mean, about two months in. I mean, for those listeners out there, it's a four month time period. This project, so. Two months in, we really started being concerned about our front-end performance. And that's when we dedicated a track pair to always work on our performance problems. So it took, you know, that's a hit in our velocity. That's features that aren't getting made. That's components that aren't being built. But we knew that to successfully deliver this feature, it had to be performant as well. I'd say that was a win. And I'm really happy that we did that because our customers, who they wouldn't have uh, considered it meeting the contract if they couldn't load all of their users into the page and actually use the feature. So, Yeah, another, another Maven Link engineer and I, Ellie Day, uh, did an episode on some of the challenges there uh, be, because it's like this uh, very dynamic, very interactive scrolling calendar view of, of resources. Um, you know, there's just a lot of React components, uh, tons of um, Redux containers, it just seemed like early on when we started loading a, a very large amount of data into all these uh, structures, our performance became you know, noticeably very bad early on to the point where we were crashing browsers, etc. Yeah, that was a red flag. Because we were all equally concerned about this, we were discussing it in our retros, we really got in front of it. And in other projects, we've lagged behind on that discussion and it happens after the fact when our customers are complaining about it. So yeah, that was uh that was something that I was super impressed by as well. And on a lot of projects, especially when you're like launching a new app or a new feature, I've noticed that performance in particular, but also just like user experience and design tweaks in general tend to get like tacked on at the end. And because these projects tend to overrun, that means that you know, the time that you spend on those gets really compressed. But it seems like we were working on problems like that almost all along. Yeah, this is a culmination of a lot of different experiences. And we had a lot of great senior engineers um, working on the team. And we knew that we had to treat UX styling changes as first class features. And at the exact same time that we started the performance track, we started our UX track 
which was those those stories that were not initially written that are maybe a design change, a styling issue, or an internal bug. Because as we were building the app, we were creating our own bugs. So we actually went with the route of instead of rejecting a bunch of stories all the time for little bugs that were not a part of the acceptance criteria, we would accept the stories and create a bug and have our our internal bugs like track work on those issues. I feel like that you know a lot of times you want you generally in in agile want to make sure that a you know a story is bug free but because this was a pre-release feature we were able to kind of efficiently move on when there were just minor tweaks or minor issues or or even like issues that were kind of rabbit holes like you know do we want to double the size of this story or do we want to move on and and create a new story to address this issue that kind of situation came up a lot yeah, it did. And everybody really erred on the side of move on, not rabbit holing. And everybody on the team did a really pragmatic value analysis almost every day or else we would not have been able to finish that feature on time. Yep, yep. Speaking of some of the more like pragmatic approaches there, we did a lot of pair swapping on these tracks, which I thought was pretty cool. Can you explain like where that idea came from more or if that's something that has always been done at Mavenlink? Yeah, it's gone through different waves of being in or out at Mavenlink. For the most part, we're a pair shop. And that that was a practice that we learned from a company called Pivotal Labs. And it's something that with a big team is absolutely necessary. It's the only way I know how to do it. It's the only way I've ever run a project like this. So I wasn't going to change for this. But the idea is you kind of hold yourself accountable for changing pairs You know, once every two to three days and you make sure that no one person is working on a track for for too long so that the information doesn't get siloed. And this allows someone from another track to rotate on and gain context. And in a perfect world, one engineer might have context on three of the five tracks at once. And it keeps everybody engaged on all the tracks and also prevents increases code quality, prevents siloing, increases shared context. It eliminates the need for super long stand-ups and or show and tells because hopefully you're going to rotate onto that track and you're going to get context eventually. It has a lot of benefits. Yeah, our stand-ups and other meetings were generally pretty short uh, because there wasn't a whole lot to talk about. It felt like everybody was involved in everything at some point in time, which I felt was it was at least really helpful for me. I feel like I played like a primarily front-end role throughout the project, but I was also just aware of stuff going on in the back-end because I spent several days on and off working on those tasks. So that was super helpful for me. Yeah, that what kind of goes forgotten on this feature is, you know, this was the first thing I've ever built in React. We only had, you mentioned Ali earlier, but going into the start of the feature, we were building a complicated React app and only two of our engineers had built something in React <laughs> up until that point. I feel like it's a it's a success story for React because by the end of like the four month project, everyone was pretty much being very productive in React. So I, I felt really good about that. Yeah, I did too. At the end of it, I forgot that we were all new to it, and it didn't feel like that. That was that was great, and that was really helpful to have you and Ellie on the team being patient at the beginning and knowing that if we invested time in teaching each other these front end principles, we would reap the the benefits later on in the future. Yeah, I felt like that went really well. And I think it's also a testament to like everyone that I worked with at Maven Link is super talented, super good at learning. Uh, and so that was, that was really awesome. I was really super impressed by that. Nice. 
Yeah. I also have a note here that we, uh, you know, when you manage a very large software project, it gets complicated to keep on top of how your version control is going. So there was like one little innovation that I wanted to point out there is that we actually used a uh, a visual chart for managing our uh, branch flow. And I thought it, it sounds like a really simple, silly thing, but it actually was a hugely important aspect of for, for me for like day to day understanding what was going on. Yeah, it- I don't think we could have done it without that chart. It was a small, small changed workflow, but a really important one. When you don't have it and you have over five branches open, when you're doing these meetings, everybody's kind of complaining about how complicated everything is and they can't keep it in their head. And that's normal. And this chart really allowed us to just cut that conversation off and be like, this is where we're at. Look at our chart. You could see which where every branch was going the status of the branch, and it really allowed everybody to switch between tracks and just know where the track was at and what they needed to work on without just scrolling through Git and looking at random PRs. Right, because multiple uh, each track would have its own like series of, of branches because we, we, we tried to practice the individual branch per story feature. And so as you would kind of progress, you would like base branches on branches and they would you know, fork away from from the master branch and and even like inter fork because some features were related. So keeping all keeping all that under control and, and just easy to understand like that. I I I looked at that chart probably dozen a dozen times every day. So did I. We have since automated that chart using GitHub's API. So now we don't ever have to update it. We were updating it by hand and that was a little cumbersome, but now it's even more streamlined and a really part of Maven Link's process on every team. That's awesome. That's really cool. Uh, how, was that the first project that you know of that used that approach, or did that come over from another team? That came over from another team at Maven Link that Ben was working on, who was an engineer on, on working on this project, and he he'd used it in the past, and he just said we should use it. It's worth it, and we went with it at the very beginning. And now most teams at Mavenlink are using the automated version of it. That's awesome. Super, super cool little improvement that helps everybody. Yeah, hopefully uh, you can share it with some people in the future when you work on a similar size project. I will. I, I don't think I could go without it on a large project anymore. My brain's already rewired. Yeah, the, uh, the code for automating it is actually just you inject it into a Google spreadsheet and it turns the spreadsheet into the, the flowchart. So oh, nice. We could, we could probably... Maybe open source that, or you guys got to open source that. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. If that comes out by the time this episode comes out, there might be a link in the show notes for that. Okay, I'll, I'll add it to my to do list. Nice. Uh, always working hard to add things to your to do list. I, and I wanted to wrap up but, and acknowledge, like it seemed like you know I was strictly played an engineering role on this project, but it seemed like from my perspective that there was a lot of stakeholder management occurring behind the scenes for this project. So it was. It felt like a high priority project. Can you reveal maybe some of how that went and and some of the challenges with that? Like the people that you were working with and interacting with behind the scenes to keep to keep the engineers moving. Yeah, that was primarily my role on the team. I would say I've engineered more on other projects than I did on this project with over ten engineers. All I was worried about was what do the designers and product really want, and how can I shield all of the engineers and the stories from those discussions because they were really happening up until the stories were written and the stories were only being written 
maybe a week or two before the engineers were working on them. So I spent a lot of time interfacing with design and product in these meetings, making sure we were going to build something that could finish on time and meet our customer needs, and also remove any potential blockers that could get created by those stories. So I would say it was a team effort between me and the product manager. And I think if if my product manager hadn't wanted the same end result as me, which was this done quickly and efficiently, we wouldn't have been able to get it done. And I think it's important to have a PM who's on the same page as you, who's not trying to add more extra overhead, which I've had in the past. And that, that really makes it hard. Yeah, shout outs to Chris Rennie. Yeah. You know, from, from an engineering perspective, I feel like there was only just like a few short, small periods where like, where it wasn't like the product direction, at least for the thing that I was supposed to be working on wasn't clear. Like it felt like that was kind of continuously ready to go. And I felt like that contributed a ton to the success of the project. Yeah, awesome. Glad to hear it. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Well, uh, that's all the notes that I had. Is there anything you wanted to add before we wrap up, Bobby? No, I think we covered everything. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Bobby. It was super fun. It's super fun to recollect about this. You know, like it's probably been five months since since uh, I wrapped up my time at Maven Lake. So, thanks for helping me reminisce. Yeah, thanks for having me on the podcast. Yeah, and thank you everyone for listening. If you want even more interestings, we have a newsletter that we do every week at codingzeal.com slash interestings. We gather things that are interesting to us, kind of write them up, make them easy to consume. So subscribe to that if you're interested, or you can follow us on Twitter at CodingZeal. Thanks, everyone.